You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Husker head coach Tim Miles joins us now uh, from Lincoln. Tim, let's start with a topic that has been widely discussed over the past couple of weeks, your team's tournament resume. You and I spoke at length in New York City about the way that teams are assessed by the committee, and it's kind of bizarre. You lose to Michigan, which hurts you perception-wise, but Michigan goes on to win it, so your victory over them during the regular season becomes more valuable. It seems counterintuitive. Are we assessing this the right way? Well, here's what I know. We're in. That's what I know. I don't care what old Howie, what's his name, your bracketologist guy says. He's full of it. You know, (laughs) I, I honestly think that that, that we're in. I mean, I just look at so many things. And the first thing I look at is that a 13-win Big Ten team, there's been 61 of them. All 61 have been in. You, there's just no bad teams in our league. Nobody outside the top 135 of BPI. There, there's just, you. every game you have to play, you have to win. And, and, and I really believe we're in. I think our strength of rec- record metric is really good. In fact, I do know it's better than 17 other teams that are either safely in or on the bubble. Um, I mean, I think we're way in. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett later will be joined by Nate Klaus. But we got to talk basketball here out of the gates, and it is full-out lobbying season for uh, Nebraska and Tim Miles. The Huskers suffered a disappointing loss to the hands of eventual Big Ten Tournament champion Michigan. Um, it was a 19-point loss. It was the biggest margin of any of the Big Ten Tournament games. So a gut punch in a lot of respects, considering half the state of Nebraska probably took the afternoon off to watch that game and go to a crowded sports bar. And uh, Nebraska just kind of delivered one of those Nebraska ball-type moments. And here we are now, Robin, sitting here. It's been a long week and. Um, everybody's just kind of talking because we really don't know the future, but the last impression of Nebraska was not good. The bracketologists are not including Nebraska in the field, but yet there's still kind of some things out there that make you wonder, um, could Nebraska still get in the, the field of 68? Yeah, it was kind of a worst case scenario as to how that loss happened. I mean, even if they lose by five or six points, I don't think that you have the same conversations you're having now to where Nebraska, some people think Nebraska is not even in the discussion anymore because of the way that game went down, where Nebraska completely looked overwhelmed by the moment, you know, missed 19 of 20 shots at one point during the first half and uh, just completely let the opportunity slip through their hands. Uh, but that being said, um, that's maybe one of the silver linings to this ridiculous Big Ten schedule to get that tournament in Madison Square Garden is now all Nebraska has to do is sit back and wait and hope that all the other teams in that same bubble conversation with them um, you know, somehow slip up along the way as well. And if that happens, then all of a sudden uh, you're, you're changing your complete um, idea of where Nebraska sits with all this. And um, you mentioned the bracketologists. It's it's weird, the array of opinions. You're They're getting. angry. They get mad. at When you talk about Nebraska with those guys, they get, I mean, they almost get mad because I, I, we know how Husker yeah. fans operate. They're relentless, and, and they're going to go at these guys for answers. And Jerry Palms and the Joe Lenardis and the others – uh, I think they've had it with Nebraska fans. Well, Jerry Palm doesn't even want to talk about Nebraska. He thinks they have zero chance of making the tournament, and they're not even worthy of his time. Joe Lenardi is still including them in that next four out. So, I mean, he still thinks that there's a chance, but a very, very small chance. Uh, but then you have other people like um, like Bracket Matrix and um, you know, TeamRankings.com that say Nebraska not only is going to make the NCAA tournament, they have a pretty 
legit shot to go. I think team rankings, which goes through about as much analytics as you could possibly even fathom, um, says Nebraska still has about a 75, almost 80% chance to make the tournament. Um, you have other places that say Nebraska is not only going to be um, the last four in, but they're already, you know, potentially as high as a 10 seed. So, I mean, that, that kind of shows how no one who is talking about bracketology has any clue exactly what's going on inside the minds of the NCAA selection committee. Uh, And there's so many variables that we just don't know how they're weighed, you know, what's going to be prioritized over another. And then more importantly, the objectivity that's going to be involved in favoring one team over another. And that goes back to the eyeball test. That goes back to just um, personal opinions about teams that you cannot factor on a team sheet or by any sort of numbers metrics. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk Nebraska basketball. Uh, we are getting close to Selection Sunday. Uh, Nebraska definitely on the bubble. Uh, they don't have, though, Robin, what is called a lot of Quadrant 1 or really even Quadrant 2 wins. Um, and and that is a new method put in this year by the NCAA committee. And, you know, it's almost become a deal where everybody has put so much weight into these Quadrant 1 slash Quadrant 2 wins. And uh, Nebraska, particularly at home, um, only had one opportunity for a quadrant one win other than Michigan, right? Minnesota. Minnesota. And Bruce at the time. Rasmussen has says they're going to take that as a quadrant one win because they were a top 15 team uh, at full strength that came to Lincoln in December and Nebraska rolled them by 10 points. So that, I mean. Kansas was a quadrant one opportunity, Minnesota, and obviously Michigan. Now, Michigan moved up to quadrant one, right? Yeah, and Creighton's in that conversation too. But so. that was a road game. Road game, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about oh the home games, yeah, yeah. Where that, Nebraska that's... definitely was a tough team to beat, and and that I believe that's what Tim Miles has talked about. We didn't even have that many quadrant one opportunities in our own place. Where the Purdue's, the Michigans, the Michigan States, the Ohio States, they have had those quadrant one opportunities. Uh, within some of these leagues, and, and this is what I'll say about the Big Ten, Robin, uh, because the top is so strong, should we penalize the middle? Where you look at the Big 12 or the SEC, the top is pretty weak, but the middle is strong. So it's almost like because the top is weak and the middle is stronger, those teams have been rewarded for that, where the Big Ten is almost being penalized because they have four teams that are going to go to the Sweet 16. Yeah, and the Big Ten's unique compared to teams like the ACC, where the bottom is terrible. Where you have uh, the the legit, you know, potential Final Four contender teams at the top, and then your bottom isn't all that bad. You know, Rutgers gave people fits all season long. Um, obviously, uh, Minnesota, you know, was a much better team than they should have been. Um, Iowa uh, was one of the highest scoring teams in the country, and so the Big Ten's bottom was a lot better than people wanted to get it credit for. And so, not only did you have the elite teams at the top. You had uh, the bottom of the league that was a problem in, in every game they played. So that made life extremely difficult. And that's why I think that when you look at those 13 conference victories Nebraska racked up, that should carry far more weight than what these national guys are wanting to give it credit for. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Bruce Rasmussen, again, uh, the chair, chairman of the committee, uh, had a quote recently that I just popped along on Twitter right before the show. And basically he talks about uh, the quadrant three and quadrant four victories, you know, the, the things that aren't even discussed in a team's postseason resume. He says when the committee talks about those games, they talk about them in the positive light as opposed to the negative. And more importantly, saying, quote, one, I think one of the hardest things to do is win the games you're supposed to. I don't think we talk about that enough. It's not necessarily that they're great wins, but you win the games you're supposed to. For 18 to 20 year old kids, 
that's hard. And so, you know, Nebraska, that's where their body of work comes into play. They won 22 games. They won 13 games in the Big Ten Conference, a power six league. Uh, I think that's going to carry a lot more value than the Palms and Lenardis and whatnot want to admit. Yeah, those guys are just solely computer nerds. Because they don't know. They don't, I mean, they, they only have the metrics in front of them to try and figure out what is actually happening behind the closed doors. And like I said, there are going to be things involved in these decisions, especially at the back end of the tournament, that don't show up on a team sheet or on metrics or quadrants or whatever you want to have it. If somehow they get in, Robin, we're going to have Jerry Palm or Lenardi on this show. We're probably not, but let's pretend we are. <laughs> and we're just going to yell at them. Well, and, and we're going to because they deservingly have, so they have yelled at Nebraska fans for the last month. And it, it would just I mean, I, I'm not saying I think it's going to happen, uh, but you've brought up some very good arguments that Selection Sunday should be interesting. It's going to be different this year. It's going to be on TBS or TNT. Yeah, it's T- on TBS, TBS, not CBS. Um, but they're not going to reveal quad by quad or bracket by bracket. It's going to be teams one through 68. They're going to alphabetically. They're first going to announce the automatic qualifiers, which mm-hmm. is obvious. And then they're going to release the other teams in the, in the field uh, alphabetically, not one by one. Yeah, apparently alphabetically. So it's going to be weird. I mean, I think they'll probably do like 10 at a time and like briefly discuss some of the teams and then move on. Well, I think. All in all, the announcement of the teams in the field will take about 15 minutes, and they're going to get that out of the way right out of the bat. So, uh, you know, either way, Nebraska's going to know its fate in a hurry. Won't have to drag it out over the course of so we'll four kn- hours. We'll know if they're in. It's a matter of we won't know Dayton. We won't know mm-hmm. where, where, opponent, opponent, win. And, you know, if they don't make the tournament, Robin, the NIT is going to come up and hit them fast because they'll, they'll probably have to play a Tuesday or maybe a Wednesday home game in the NIT. Yeah, and then you don't know where they are going to be seated in the uh, NIT bracket. I mean, there's some people that say they're not even a guaranteed one seed at this point, you know, potentially a two or uh, all the way down to a four I've seen by some quote-unquote They'll get a home NIT game. They'll get a home game, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that goes without saying just because of the attendance numbers. But Well, that uh, doesn't matter, the NIT. It's completely seated yeah, yeah, yeah. by an NCAA tournament field. I mean, I the the committee, the committee, another version of an NCAA group seeds the. Ter- it's not. It's no longer the old days where the NIT operates as a business that cooks the books. Where you know when the year Nebraska made the Final Four, the NIT didn't want Nebraska in the Final Four. They wanted Jerry Tarkanian to be in in New York City. Nebraska had to go into Fresno on a short week that year, beat Jerry Tarkanian in Fresno with their officiating crew, and they did. Uh, it's no longer like that. NIT is a legitimate tournament where the. Um, it's seated, and it used to not be seated. It used to be kind of a business of who drew the best ratings, who drew the best crowds, and let's get the four best teams in New York City. I think there was a game where Kentucky had to play like at Robert Morris because they, they, yeah, they, shortly they, after that too. So. Because Lexington was hosting. Ah, there you go. Lexington was hosting the NCAA <laughs> tournament, um, so Kentucky as a one seed had to travel to the eight, and they yep. lost. Yep. And that was what Robert Morris. I think so. For some reason, that's what's coming to my head. Well, and like it last was, it was year, a team on that level. Illinois was going through renovations in their arena as a one seed in the NIT, and they had mm-hmm. they had to travel and they lost. So, you want to be at home in the NIT. I mean, I think early on, especially because you're you're going to be pretty upset that you're in that tournament. So, hopefully, a home game well, would. Especially this team too, that you know went sixteen and one at home. I mean, obviously, that's a pretty big advantage and helps you get uh, a clearer path to. Madison Square Garden for a second time. Well, let's continue the basketball conversation. We're going to talk more football, but this is a special show with a little bit more basketball uh, involved. And we're going to talk about the future of Tim Miles. What's next for Coach Miles? Still no contract extension. He's operating with just two years remaining after this season. Uh, We'll get Robin's thoughts on kind of the future of Coach Miles and his contract at Nebraska next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. 
You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, there's no doubt there was some lack of opportunity for us. You know, I look at it like this. You know, Michigan State was 8-1 in the league at home, 16-1 overall. Ohio State, 8-1, 16-2 overall. Purdue, 8-1, 16-1 in the league. The Huskers were 9-0 and 16-1 in the league. I really think any of those teams that come to our place, we would have the opportunity to beat them, and it looks like we would have. I mean, we match up and align that way, but just because of the, you know, the way the schedule broke, we didn't have those opportunities. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett as we continue our discussion of Nebraska basketball. And you heard Tim Miles discussing more uh, the scheduling things that kind of hurt Nebraska and all the metric numbers. But um, I want to shift over, Robin, uh, to the discussion about Tim Miles. And and it's been interesting because he was hired by Tom Osborne, so he never really had the full support of Sean Eichhorst. Um, and even the year Nebraska made the NCAA tournament, um, he was not given a big raise. He was not really did he did he get like a, a, a just some years added on or anything if you remember right? But he really didn't get much. Yeah, I think it was like a one year extension. I mean, it was the minimal. Mm-hmm. And I course obviously never was fully supportive uh, of Miles uh, publicly. Um, and, and now you got a new AD, Bill Moose, and um, you know Bill Moose has been very uh, accessible and open for comments, but. The one thing we still don't really have a read on, Robin, is the future of Tim Miles after this season. He's sitting with a contract with just two years left after this season. Um, his pay has kind of been the same since he's been hired. He hasn't really been given big raises or anything. Um, and now this is kind of a fork in the road for Nebraska and Tim Miles and Bill Moose. Do they want to reward Tim Miles handsomely with a raise and more years, increase the buyout? Or will they give them a minimum uh, as far as years, give them a minimum as far as increased pay, and really not raise the buyout? I mean, and that's going to be a big thing to watch here in the next month. This is a debate that uh, you can have plenty of arguments for either side uh, of the table. Um, obviously, um, Tim Miles has done a lot of good things with this program. Uh, you know, the NCAA tournament run a few years ago, um, the the increased level of talent through recruiting, um, just his kind of presence as the face of the program, I think has done a lot of good for the program nationally. Um, and then obviously kind of remains- Top 10 to, in attendance. Right, attendance numbers, what remains to be seen um, for this postseason. Um, so, I mean, th- th- there's a lot of positives, but at the same time, um, in between those positives has been a lot of downside. And so I think the people that don't like Tim Miles can easily come up with plenty of reasons why extending Tim Miles is not the way to go. Um, and so, you know, it's it's going to be a debate that um, is going to be ongoing uh, until Bill Moose finally steps up and makes a declarative statement one way or another. And you know, publicly, he said a lot of good things about the team um, and just the season, but nothing um, really out of the way to kind of put to ease the questions about what the future holds with Tim Miles as the head coach of this program. And, you know, I, I do think that this is going to be something that absolutely has to be addressed one way or another. I mean, regardless of what happens with their postseason, um, Bill Moose and Tim Miles need to figure out what the long-term um, you know, plan is for this coaching staff uh, because it's it's an issue on the recruiting front. Yeah, how uh, many coaches, Robin, operate with just two years few. left? I mean, very even few. like Kansas State, they gave Bruce Weber more years, but they didn't increase the buyout. Yeah. And that's all really course had to do maybe. He could have given Miles more years without increasing the buyout, and that would have just – 
made them whole in recruiting, but they didn't even do that. No, and it's, it, they have lost recruits because of Tim Miles' contract. Within the conference, other coaches are pointing to Tim Miles' unknown, um, uncertain future and saying, why would you want to go there when there's no guarantee he will, he'll even be around by the time he get there? And so, I mean, this is an issue that absolutely has to be addressed by Bill Moose very, very soon. And, you know, it's going to be interesting if uh, what they want to do, if they want to lock him up long term, if what Bill Moose saw over the last few months was good enough um, and he's encouraged enough about the direction of the program uh, to think that this thing can work uh, long term. Uh, then I think by by all means, you you bump this up to, you know, maybe a, a five-year deal, five or six-year deal, and then, you know, all is good. And you're, you're Give him, a, small, give him, you're, a, give him yeah. a respectable raise. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's got to be a raise included there. Uh, because right now, Tim Owls is the seventh highest paid coach um, in the conference, and he's only ahead of Greg, Gar- Greg Gard of Wisconsin by $80. So <laughs> And Greg Gard is fairly... I mean, for where he's taken Wisconsin, he's not paid very yeah, well and, either. Well, yeah, and he's still working on his initial contract, too, after taking over Bo Ryan. So uh, anyway, uh, so but the other side of that is if they try to, like, lowball Miles and say, you know, we'll give you a one-year extension with a very minimal raise, uh, and then we'll wait and see again. And, and not increase the buyout. you got to wonder, is Tim Miles going to be on board for that? I mean, he spent all last season twisting in the wind under Sean Eichhorst. I'm sure... Um, that... Eichhorst felt the waters, too. You know that he was probably making calls, seeing who he could get. There were plenty of unconfirmed reports that they put out a lot of feelers uh, for the likes of Eric Musselman and uh, at Nevada and, you know, some Even other... Bo Ryan probably got a phone call, do you yeah, think? Yeah, and Tom Crean was another name that was thrown out. So um, there's no I mean, no one wanted to work for yeah, no, no one confirmed it, but yeah, I mean that, and so that that's a whole other discussion. That's of, a whole if you fire show. Tim Miles, who do you get? But uh, that, so that's going to be the thing too. If they try to just you know give Miles the bare minimum, will he take it, or will he say, you know what, I'm tired of being left in limbo and having to coach around an uncertain future and recruit around an uncertain future? I might go somewhere else where someone's going to believe in me and give me long term security. Now, how much of it though, Robin? If they make the tournament on Sunday, which we don't, I mean, it's 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 total coin flip. Maybe even. You know, it's it's probably under fifty percent chance at this point, but there's still some thoughts they could get in. Don't you think then that kind of solidifies things, especially if you can convince Roby, Palmer, and Copeland to all come back another season? Yeah, that's the biggest selling point for keeping Tim Miles is you know not only has he brought in a level of talent we haven't seen in a long time uh, in Lincoln, but uh, you know they have the potential to. Uh, be something pretty special next year. Um, if they keep all those guys. Yeah, and so you know the biggest hurdle right now for Nebraska in recruiting is the fact that they have no national success. I mean, you've never won a tournament game. I mean, you're kind of the laughing stock of the Power Six conferences, and that's hard to recruit over. And so that's why a lot of times their best players are guys that are on the second round of the recruitment uh, with transfers. And so um, th- that's kind of got to be the the b- biggest pitch is, you know, yes, this was a good season. We took big steps, won 22 games, 13 league games, but next year could be even better. And so, you know, if that's the case, then, um, and B- Bill Moose has bought into that, then I think that it kind of, a- the question answers itself. You lock it up long-term or not even that, like, huge long-term, but like a decent amount to where you're at least four or five years out uh, to where, you know, it's not a hurdle in recruiting. It's not being used against you. And you kind of eliminate that tension of, you know, having to coach for your job year in, year out. I think you can also say, Robin, this is a a better job than when Miles walked into it. They're in the new arena. There's a, some, no, no doubt about it. There's established metrics of what Nebraska has done with that arena, with the practice facility, 
Um, and, and, and Miles has shown what you can do um, on a smaller level just with transfers and whatnot. And, um, you know, with the with the home court advantage, you know, you're going to have a chance to win here. Um, it's a matter of just kind of getting over that hump that Miles has been able to, you know, it's been a battle for him. But yeah. I, I just think this job's a lot better than it was before Miles got here. Yeah, there's no question. And so that kind of goes to the other side's argument is, has Miles peaked? I mean, is barely being a fringe NCAA tournament team as good as it's going to get? Or Danny Knee taking Nebraska close to being a, you know, sure. the, you, you can argue Knee had a couple of teams that were sweet 16 level, and they choked. Yeah, I mean, they had but, the three seed overall that one year. So, I mean, uh, I, that that is definitely something that is working against Miles. Is, is this as good as it's going to get? Can you get someone that can utilize all these resources and, um, you know, the money that they have with the Big Ten? And can you go out and pay a guy that can come and do a better job? And so that's that's the alternative question here. Yes, Miles has done a lot of good, but can you find somebody that can do better? And honestly, I don't know the answer to that because obviously they put out feelers a year ago with they had all those same resources and no one took the bait. What? So, I mean, that, that's kind of the situation Nebraska's in right now. Well, it's going to be a very, very interesting next couple of days as we go through the weekend and Sunday. Um, we'll learn Nebraska's future on Selection Sunday, and then we'll also know if they don't make that, we'll learn Sunday night on the NIT. So uh, lots to discuss, and then the future of Tim Miles, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that next week. And uh, for your sake, Robin, I'm hoping I'm flying you off to some NCAA regional and you'll miss next week's show. You know, I've never been to Dayton, so I- I've heard it's nice this time of year. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk NFL Combine. Nebraska had five participants in Indianapolis. Uh, we'll bring Nate Klaus into the discussion and-, and look at what some of the Huskers did in Indy this past week. Pro Day then will be coming up in Lincoln here on Wednesday. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. As we're going to talk some NFL Combine for Nebraska. They had five guys in Indianapolis, which is a high number for what we've seen over the last couple of years. And, you know, I, I think when you look at it, a number of things jumped out. But I think number one, Joshua Kalu's performance in Indy was Maybe the biggest thing that happened for Nebraska, 41 and a half inch vertical that was tied for first. Um, he went, uh, I think, second overall in the broad jump, 135 inches, I believe, in the in the broad, which is an incredible number, Nate, as we bring Nate Klaus into this conversation as well. But um, Kalu ran on the four fives, but those explosive numbers in the vertical and the broad, I think that's going to help Joshua Kalu probably um, get into a team and probably get drafted now. Yeah, when you look at the, you know, with his vertical being tied for first and then that 11-2 broad jump uh, being tied for second, I mean, that, that stacks up pretty well with with all the talent that uh, that was at safety at the combine. I mean, geez, when you look at how many defensive backs were there in Indianapolis this past weekend, uh, it was, I mean, it was an insane amount of, of DBs there. And, and Kalu stacked up pretty well, so I think he helped himself there. And another thing that is really going to help him, I believe, now that he has some of these numbers attached to his name is the fact that he's played corner, he's played nickel, he's played safety in college. He has tape at all those positions. So uh, he's a guy who I feel you know really, really helped himself, has probably gone up uh, a lot of draft boards. Yeah, Nate, I was going to just say that his versatility might be his best asset. And obviously he's got some good measurables to him. Um, probably will want to try and bump that 40 up a little bit at pro day. But uh, his ability to play two defensive back positions, or potentially three, you've talked about his nickel experience, 
experience and also special teams. You know, he played a lot of special teams earlier in his career, um, and that is going to be his ticket right away. Um, to, to, a way to just stash him on a roster, uh, play special teams, and if injuries happen, then you can move him and play him pretty much anywhere. There's a ton of value with limited roster space at the NFL level to have a guy like that that you can kind of plug anywhere uh, you need him. And so even if he doesn't get drafted, I think there's an extremely high chance he gets a legit shot to make a roster, and that versatility is going to carry him a long way. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Robin Watchett and Nate Klaus. We're talking NFL Combine, and on the flip side, in the on the secondary, um, Chris Jones was there. Um, kind of the first time he's tested out numbers-wise. I never did see a published vertical for him on NFL.com, so I don't know if he didn't jump um, with with the knee, uh, but he ran the 40 nonetheless. I believe he had a 4.57, uh, 4.58 time. 4.57. Yeah, 4.57. Which, for a corner, that's not going to make any money. And um, I'd imagine we'll see Chris Jones and Kalu both run the 40, but – um, I, I still think there might be a little rust uh, on him, Nate, with, with where he's at because um, I think he probably was hoping to run in the mid to high four fours, if I had to guess, and um, he was more in the mid to high four fives at the combine. Yeah, he needed to run in the four fours, I believe, especially since he didn't really have all that much tape from his senior season. You know, he had the knee injury that held him out all the way when he came back to the Wisconsin game. and. You know, he, I don't believe that he was 100% at all last no. season, uh, far from it. So, you know, and then given his performance at the Combine, you almost wonder if maybe he wishes that, that he wouldn't have come out, that maybe he would have redshirted last year um, and, and, you know, had had a, a chance to put together an entire season and then go to the Combine a year from now. So, uh, so yeah, his his pro day testing is going to be crucial for him. I think he measured it at six foot, 195 pounds, uh, but that 40, you know, he's got to be in the four fours to, to have a shot, I believe. Yeah, looking back, um, you know, I thought it was the wrong decision to force it and try and come back last year, um, you know, especially with the I way. I think he was adamant on doing it. I though. know. I know it was all his decision. So, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he was intent on following that plan. And when a guy is locked in like that, it's hard to talk him out of it. But I think in retrospect, uh, from the outside at least, uh, another season probably would have done him a lot of good. Uh, more importantly, like you mentioned, Nate, it would allow him to get another season of film together, of good, healthy film, um, which carries just as much weight as uh, you know a lot of these numbers you're seeing at the Combine. So um, he's got a much tougher path, in my opinion, than a clue to uh, making a roster spot. I, I think it's probably pretty unlikely he gets drafted, um, especially with those numbers um, and the lack of a senior season and the injury history. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, maybe he can catch on uh, as an undrafted rookie free agent. But right now, um, you know, you got it's, it's hard not to question that decision to play last year and not redshirt. And guys are going to run better at Pro Day at Nebraska. It's always that way, Nate. You know, we've been around combine testing as much as anybody. And I, I think from a scout's perspective, they're always going to put more stock in the combine time because that is the only time that everyone is running on the same surface with the same timing method where if you go back into your home turf at your old school um you know i i think it's harder to gauge because 
the surfaces and everything might be different than than the combine. So yeah, I expect Kalu and Jones will probably run better Wednesday, uh, but I don't know how much the scouts will put into that. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, yeah, you're right. The combine is the only controlled environment where all the scouts have the large majority of all the draftable prospects there together. They're all running in the same environment on the same surface with the same timing method. Um, you know, you get to all these different in- indoor facilities and you've got a bunch of different watches on everybody. Um, you know, it's hard to compare apples to apples when you start looking at pro days across the country. So uh, I do expect these guys to, to fare much better at the pro day. But you're right. I, I don't know how much unless they just have a, a, a crazy, you know, put up crazy numbers. You know, we're talking like going from a four, five, eight to a four, three something or low four, four. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much stock. The, the the scouts are going to put into those numbers. Well, let's move over to Tanner Lee and his his combine. Um, I think he, he ran in the four nines <clears> in the forty. His vertical was, I believe, number one for quarterbacks. He had what a 32? 32. 32 inch vertical, which that's a great number for Tanner Lee. I mean, it shows you that he's more explosive than pe- people probably realized. Um, I don't expect. I didn't think he would run any better than the four nine, maybe four eight five ish range. So he was about where I thought he was going to run. But on the field. He threw the ball kind of like we thought. When he's in shorts in that setting, he is going to look as good or better than any quarterback. And I thought it was funny watching the coverage of the combine. They, they had some ex-players, or the current players or ex-players in the NFL on the field, and, and they would throw it down to these guys. And I'm like, what do you got down there on the field? I think it was David Carr was one of the guys down on the field. And um, was it Deion Sanders or one of the other guys? They all commented like, you know what? We don't know who this Tanner Lee guy is, but my God, he's throwing the ball better than anybody on the field. And, and that's kind of Tanner Lee in a nutshell. He's going to always throw well in those settings, the Manning Academy, the Combine, practice settings and seven-on-sevens. Um, but everyone's going to go back to that film and the turnovers that he ba- he battled over his last couple of years. Yeah, it's when he has the pass rush that changes everything. And there's a reason why, you know, all of us were gushing over him during spring ball and fall camp because he looked that good. Uh, obviously, he wasn't getting hit, and he was throwing dimes almost every practice rep, and the ball hardly ever hit the turf. So that's that's going to be the one issue with him. Um, he did exactly what I expected him to do in that combine situation. You know, he's a composed guy that handles that type of pressure well, um, and he flourished. And now the issue is, is that going to be good enough to counter all the bad stuff that we saw with, you know, some of those interceptions, some of those poor um, you know, decision-making, you know, forcing balls into traffic that we saw over the course of last season. Um, you know, right now, I mean, listening to some uh, NFL draft, you know, experts that I've heard on various radio programs, uh, you know, they, I think he's still got a, a decent chance to get drafted. You know, you're probably looking at late sixth, seventh round type uh, range, but getting drafted is getting drafted. I mean, we all know Tom Brady was a fifth rounder. So anything can happen once you get in. And obviously getting drafted increases your chances of sticking on a roster um, significantly. So that that's the ideal course for him to be, you know, one of those third day late selections, get into a camp and then kind of prove to those coaches what he can do. And then maybe, you know, with a better offensive line um, and some more help around him offensively, you know, he, he won't have of those decision-making questions uh, that really plagued him all of last year. Yeah, I feel like the numbers he put up helped him. Uh, they certainly didn't hurt him, and and we all know that, that he probably knocked out, you know, knocked out all of his interviews uh, out of the ballpark. Uh, he's really, really good in those settings. Uh, very mature, composed guy, uh, smart, smart football IQ guy. 
you know, and he was healthy all of last season. That was a big question mark about him uh, throughout his career. Is you know he was kind of injury prone, uh, but the bottom line is it comes down to the decision making, and that's what he struggled with. Um, and and like you said, Sean, he's he's always been great in those settings, whether it's on air or seven on seven or even in practice. But uh, it's when when the he's under the lights that he's struggled with some of the decision making and, and been prone to throwing turnovers. So uh, yeah, all you can ask for right now. I think is is to get a chance, and and I have no doubt that he'll be able to to stick on somewhere. I think that when you look at the the quarterbacks in this league and the guys that have been around, uh, I think that he's just as talented as a lot of those guys. It, it, but it, it, it's going to come down to the decision making. All right. Well, two other guys at the combine. I don't have any time to get to them, but Nick Gates, offensive lineman, did twenty reps in the bench. Kind of a disappointing number for an offensive lineman. Uh, came in a lot heavier, I think, than people thought. Then you had Drew Brown as well. Uh, very hard to evaluate kickers, but I think Drew Brown's going to get into a camp and at least get into a competition. And as a kicker, that's really all you can ask for uh, going forward. When we come back, uh, we're going to shift our discussion over to spring practice. It is around the corner. Nebraska will open up next Friday. Uh, 6 a.m. will be their first practice uh, on Friday, March 16th. Um, so we're going to give some early thoughts on what uh, what we know about the schedule and, and kind of what's to come here with the spring. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. We are about a week away from the start of spring practice. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus says Nebraska will officially open up spring practice uh, on Friday morning, it's expected to be a 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. practice. Um, that's how you send the players off to of spring break, as uh, they're only going to have one practice next week, and then the players are going to be off, um, and they won't have another practice until Tuesday, March 27th, uh, which is after spring break. So uh, they're going to take advantage of the week, though. They're going to have meetings all week, Monday through Thursday, before wrapping the week. Uh, with one practice, there's also supposed to be a uh, media event press conference on Wednesday, and that's also the same day as Pro Day. So um, we're going to get a lot of football talk next week. We're going to be able to talk to some assistant coaches, players, coordinators, Scott Frost. And we, we've kind of held off, Robin, from writing our full-scale previews because there's just still a lot we don't know about kind of the, the thoughts of the personnel and what they're going to do with it. There are so many question marks on both sides of the ball and basically every position group. Um, this is literally a clean slate uh, in every regard. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen at running back or quarterback or who the receivers are going to be, what the offensive line is going to look like, um, who the linebackers are going to be and where they're going to play, how the defensive line is going to be configured, how the secondary – I mean, just go down the list. Like, there, there's no clear-cut answer, really, at any position. And so to sit there and try and act like we know um, what to expect going into spring – um, would be a disservice, I think, to our readers. So yeah, it's it's going to be uh, a very informative first few practices to kind of see where guys are starting out, where they're taking reps, and kind of um, you know what the plan is for some of these question mark positions and players uh, at the start of spring ball. I, I was kind of hoping that practice would be open for, for the first one. Uh, that's six a.m. It's really early, and I just have this. I, have, I envision. 
uh, the staff running these guys through hell, giving them a little bit of a taste uh, of what's to come and, and maybe discourage them from the normal college spring break experience so that they come back yeah. uh, fresh and ready to go instead of kind of dragging uh, in, in, in recovery mode. So um, that's that's kind of a, another layer in all of this too is is exactly what they're going to do that first practice. Um, you know, And that's my take at least is that, that they're going to, they're going to run these guys an awful lot and give them just a little bit of a taste of, of what's to come. And then when they leave to go to Cabo or, you know, where, where, where do the kids go now? They, I think a lot of kids go to Florida. Florida or, or um, down in Texas. Uh, South Padre. South Padre. Yeah, South Padre Island. Yeah, they'll have that in the back of their mind that, boy, maybe, maybe I shouldn't go completely crazy because when I get back, I'm going to be paying for it. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, and, and Nebraska is going to go to morning practices during the week all spring. So um, when the players get back uh, every Tuesday, Thursday, so of their 15, you know, during the week, Monday through Friday practices, um, there, there are 15 total. Nine of those are during the week. All of those are going to take place in the morning. Um, and then the rest are going to be Saturdays. And then there's, there's one Friday, which is before the red-white game, and that's going to be an afternoon workout. So it's going to be a change. And I know Scott Frost is pushing for morning practices. Um, it's basically going to be like a 7, 7.30 a.m. to 10 a.m. window on those Tuesdays and Thursdays. I think there had to be some creativity uh, with class scheduling. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays definitely make the most sense because classes are longer on those days. Um, so right now, the way it's set up, Nate, players only have to miss the 8 a.m. and the 9.30 classes, and then they can be in classes by 11 um, on those Tuesdays, Thursdays. But it remains to be seen if they can get this worked out for the fall. Yeah, that's what's going to be interesting is is that, yeah, it works during spring when you can kind of load up on your Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes and have have those Tuesday, Thursday mornings kind of open for practice. But, um, you know, when the fall rolls around and you've got practice every single day, they, you know, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to be able to configure that, but uh, but it makes sense to me. The morning practices make all the sense in the world, and and I know Coach Frost has kind of hit on that. Uh, it's just a, a great way to start the day. You get up, you get going. Um, you're you know, a lot of times you you might think about sleeping in for class, but you're not going to be sleeping in for practice, and so it gets you out of bed, it gets you going, it gets your metabolism started, uh, and it's just a nice way to kind of to start your day. Um, and 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 I. I think there's a lot of reasoning behind it, not just because the, the coaches want to get it out of the way first thing in the morning, but I think that it makes a lot of sense for the players. Yeah, I think it's an accountability thing as much as anything. I mean, that was one of the things. Go back to when Bill Moose was talking about, you know, just the, the sloppiness and the laziness and, um, you know, some of the just the, the stuff that you don't want to see in a locker room happening. I think this is going to go a long way in resolving that because obviously you have to completely reset your schedule um, as not only a football player, but as a student too, to where you're going to bed at a good time to make sure you're rested and getting up early. Cause, uh, I don't even want to know what the consequences are going to be for those guys that sleep in or miss an uh, early morning meeting or late to practice. Um, I think they're going to learn in a hurry that that's just not going to fly. And so I think that's kind of about starting that setting that standard, establishing the culture of, you know, what successful football at Nebraska has to be about. And so I think that that is as much um, about this as anything. And it's going to be, I'm sure, a a, a pretty quick learning process for how to adjust to that for these players. I mean, I really think, guys, you had players that would miss morning classes and say, you know what, I'm going to sleep in till whatever, and then I'm going to roll into lunch, 
and I'm going to roll over to the football and kind of casually get ready for practice. And mm-hmm. I think that's what they're trying to get rid of, Nate. Well, yeah, you probably had guys that would stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning playing Call of Duty or Fortnite or whatever <laughs> whatever video games oh. and and uh, and you know and then kind of sleep in and miss class or be late to class or, or whatever. Not studying. Yeah, not studying. So, yeah, yeah, like Robin said, this is all about accountability. It's about starting your day and, and being – you know, being accountable for for all of your activities throughout the day, not just practice. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. Now we still don't know what's going to be open. I this is just my feel. I think we're going to get a few days to get photos in there, and that's it. I uh, the days of the open, basically sit down with Mike Riley and watch practice and talk to him for about a half an hour during practice or no more. It's going to be pretty business like, in my opinion. And I don't anticipate to see very much until the spring game. Yeah, and so that's why the access you do get, you got to make the most of. So I don't think we're going to be able to watch many practices, like you said. And um, you know, I think the access we're going to get to certain players is going to be pretty limited. The coaches is going to be limited. Uh, so it's going to be a definite change uh, from where things were um, to maybe probably the most open and available coaching staff in the country yeah you could probably imagine I mean Mike Riley you could sit there and talk his ear off for 45 minutes after practice practice. yeah I mean you know it was just like no big deal casual conversation so um, that'll be interesting I don't think it's going to totally impact you know our situation, not like anybody cares about that all that much, but um, I think just from uh, the, you know how they manage the media, how they manage the public, this is goes to you know former players, uh, you know high school coaches around the state. You know, I think just access in general is going to be a lot more restricted than it has been in past years. Yeah, like for high school coaches, uh, we saw this email that you, they'll be allowed to come to practice, but you've got to submit your request through an official school email. Um, and only 12 high school coaches will be allowed at each spring practice because they don't want this to be a circus of coaches everywhere. And you're only allowed as a high school coach to attend one spring practice besides the coaches clinic, which is a whole different deal. So they're Nate, they're trying to keep a lid, I think, on the circus a little bit with some rules like that. Yeah, and, and I think it, it makes sense. I mean, I get it, especially this first year when you don't want everybody thinks they know Scott Frost. I mean, yeah. all these people have a connection to Scott's family or Scott or Matt Davison. And it's going to be crazy how many of those guys want to come around and get a piece of it day to day. Yeah, and and then want to brag about you know what they saw or what's happening or what you know what kind of what they're doing on offense and what they're doing on defense and and where they have guys lined up so, this and that. So uh, I, I totally get it, and and I'm not expecting a whole lot. And like you said, I think that we'll just be thankful for whatever we do get. All right, well, we're going to shift over in our final segment to recruiting. Nebraska picked up their third in-state commit. Not a surprise as Ethan Piper is the latest to join. We'll get Nate's thoughts on that and then how Nebraska is kind of structuring some junior days here going forward um, here in the month of March and April. All that's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. Let's talk some Nebraska recruiting. The Huskers pick up their third commit, all from the in-state, as Nebraska got a commitment, Nate, from Ethan Piper, Norfolk Catholic. And, you know, we've known Ethan since our fresh, his freshman year of high school um, when we uh, have been traveling out to Norfolk Catholic every year for the in-state tour. So he's been on radar, Nate, for a long time. Iowa was the first team to offer. Nebraska came in and offered um, last week and um, pretty much cancels a trip to Iowa after he gets the Nebraska offer. He commits uh, publicly on Twitter on Monday. Um, Kind of a no-brainer deal all around. 
Yeah, it really was. And and I'll tell you what, Iowa was a real player here for Ethan Piper. They they've been recruiting him extremely hard uh, ever since they offered, you know, and he had a couple other schools that came in. Ohio offered, South Dakota State obviously offered, uh, and he was receiving new interest from Stanford and Princeton, uh, a couple other programs, but Iowa was pushing very very hard and they had been doing a great job of recruiting him and um, and when he landed that offer from Nebraska uh, last Wednesday uh, that's he told me he said you know what I'm still planning on going to Iowa's junior day because that staff has invested a lot of time in me uh, and they've been recruiting me very very hard and um, but you know as time went on after I was able to, to kind of catch up with him after he made his decision he said you know I got to thinking about it, and and the more I thought about it, I, I knew in my heart that I wanted to go to Nebraska, and I just didn't feel like it would be right to go to Iowa and not be 100% committed to actually listening to what they were telling me and, and to, to be kind of open to Iowa. And so he called up their staff and said, uh, kind of told them the situation and, and told them that, that he didn't want to waste their time and he didn't want to waste his. Uh, and then Sunday he, he called up Barrett Root and committed, and, and, uh, and this staff's very excited about him and uh, and I'm excited too I mean I, I think he's a great prospect obviously he's been playing as a tr- as a freshman at Norfolk Catholic played in the state title game as a freshman uh, two-way standout I think uh, for a 6'4 280 pound kid uh, good feet flats yeah. and he's got a flat stomach on him it's yeah. not like he's carrying bad no, weight no he carries no bad weight uh, I mean he's been able to dunk a basketball since he's in eighth grade he just broke Kevin Raymaker's uh, squat record at the school with a 550 pound squat that he did during squat gate yeah that he did during the the last week of basketball season he he said that his legs were kind of tired so he thinks he'll be able to break that uh but he's a blue collar hard-working kid uh that is very athletic too has got great size and strength and uh i I think it's a good addition for this class and nate we talked about this last week um about just the approach on in-state and 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 really our when i said it was refreshing i'm talking more about the last 10 years overall um I, i just think nebraska has let a few things slip um, not with necessarily Riley, but you can be critical. They lost Noah Fant. They lost Bubak uh, to Arizona State, and they didn't offer um, Bryson Williams. You just get the sense that this staff is doing everything possible to eliminate the Drew Rott, Harrison Phillips situations and other type of situations uh, that that will pop up with some of these in-state guys. Yeah, I mean, you, you saw Riley's staff take some steps in the right direction in terms of offering guys early. Ben Stilley. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, Cameron Jurgens they offered after his freshman year. And, David Engelhop got a late offer yeah, a couple and, years ago. And so, I mean, I think they did they did take some steps in the right direction from from what transpired under Pelini. You know, and that staff was very, very – I mean, to get an offer as an in-state guy under, under when Bo Pelini was here was <laughs> – very difficult. You had to be a miracle worker. Yeah, basically, I mean, you had to you had to go to camp and and walk on water to get an offer from Pelini, and uh, it just didn't happen all that often. But uh, but what we've seen from this new staff so far is is uh, you know they're they're kind of backing up what they said. You know every every new coach comes in and says we're going to lock up the in state talent, and you know that's the the right thing to say. But you've got to follow through on it. And so far the staff is following through on it. They're they're creating a presence in um, in the schools. You know the. Every 
area recruiting area, versus position recruiting. Exactly. Major so, difference on building those relationships. And there's no there's no doubt about it. So and I think that uh, you know what what Bear Root has been able to do specifically so far over the last couple months, especially during the contact period when they were able to be out on the road, consistently being in all those different schools uh, and, and creating that presence, I think reinforces what Coach Frost said during his inter- introductory press conference. And uh, and I'll tell you the the coaches that we've talked to, Sean, they're excited about what's happening. Uh, they feel like they feel like they're going to be paid a lot more attention to, uh, and that their players are going to get a lot a lot better uh, shake down in Lincoln, whether it's for a scholarship or maybe a possible walk on down the road. Well, and the biggest thing I'll say is Frost, Barrett Rude, guys like Matt Davison, the local coaches, they, they they say this: these guys are one of us. They grew up in Nebraska. They played Nebraska high school football. So there's just something different when you've got kind of the connection. And even Shenander, he's an Iowa guy. I mean, you've got just guys from this part of the country, I think, that are going to relate with these local guys a little bit better. Um, They understand the landscape. I remember talking to some of Riley's guys. I mean, you had to kind of explain to them the history of the state and kind of there's 32 teams in A and there's 32 teams in B and there's really 64. I mean, these guys don't need to know that. They already know yeah, all that they, stuff. They already know it. They, there's, they, they kind of have the – they have the baseline information that they need to that they are you know that you need to have to operate in the state. They know all that stuff already, so they're not starting from scratch, uh, you know. And, and that's I mean that's just kind of comes with the territory that that we've seen ever since uh, Solich was fired. Every new coach that's come in has kind of had to start from scratch. Well, this staff hasn't had to had to do that. They don't need somebody to tell them that Fred Batito was Eric Crouch's high school coach. <laughs> exactly. They they don't need someone to tell them how to pronounce Carney properly or Beatrice properly or where is North Platte or, you know, they, they understand the lay of the land and they respect the land. And, that, and that's probably the biggest thing um, going to Bellevue West and Burke four straight weeks in a row. But uh, real quick here, I know we're up against it, Nate, but uh, they made some more offers. Um, I think what jumped out to me this past week is they're continuing to ma- uh, make more offers in Missouri. Yeah, a lot more offers in Missouri. We're seeing uh, a ton of Junior Day invites going out to to kids in Missouri too. So, and they added another Junior Day. Um, you know, we already knew about the April seventh one, then of course the spring game on the twenty first. But they added another one for March thirty first, and we're going to see a huge push for a lot of St. Louis area guys, Kansas City guys, uh, to to, to make, get to one of those three events. Yeah, in in some cases, at least you know one of the two Junior Days, and hopefully the spring game. So, um, you know, visit season is upon us, and, and we're going to see a lot of prospects make their way to, to Lincoln here uh, over the March 31st, April 7th, and uh, and or uh, April 21st. And Nate, game. I'm, I'm okay with Nebraska not having a February or early March one. Because if I'm Nebraska, I want to have something to show them. I want to take them to a practice. I want to take them to a scrimmage where I I think just having the old school February junior day, if you're lucky you had a basketball game to work it around, I don't know how effective those had been in history anyway. I I think having an actual on-field deal will help make these junior days better. Yeah, well, it gives you something to to look at, and and, uh, it gives you kind of something to to judge these coaches off of. You know, if if you're a running back and you're visiting – um, you're able to watch Ryan Held in action and, and kind of get a feel for how he is as a coach because uh, you, you've you've been talking with him, but you don't know how he how he is on the football field, and uh, you get a baseline for what what the team is made up of and and. How
and how they operate. So the, there's a lot more you can get out of when you're able to actually see a practice and be around the team when there's something going on. Well, it's going to pick up a lot more here, uh, so make sure you are on Husker Online here over the weekend as uh, not only will we have co- uh, coverage of um, Selection Sunday, Nebraska baseball is home for four games uh, this weekend against Cal Poly. David uh, Eichel and Matt Reynoldson will have full coverage of the opening series here in Lincoln. Um, and obviously, spring football is upon us as next Friday, Nebraska will have their first spring practice of the year. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.